Anyhow, we're turning your Bibles to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 15, 16. Um, started with this last week, never really got to it. So, um, But it's, it's dealing with our, our Lenten. And next week, we know, is Palm Sunday. And, of course, the following week is Easter. It's hard to imagine. Um, hopefully, we'll have Easter weather by then. But uh, uh, Joel chapter 2, verses 12, beginning at verse 12. But there also is this, it's not too late, God's personal message, come back to me and really mean it. Come fasting and weeping and sorry for your sins. The, the prophet Joel is talking, and we use this in the, uh, a scripture that is um, used a lot with the Lenten season, which um, is a time of coming back to God and an idea of recognizing what God has gone through in the preparation for Good Friday. It seems like an oxymoron to say Good Friday, um, the day that Jesus is crucified. And, uh, but the prophet Joel is talking about this and come back to me and really mean it. Come fasting and praying and sorry for your sins. Change your life, not just your clothes. Come back to God, your God, and here's why. God is kind and he is merciful. He takes a deep breath and puts up with a lot. <laughs> I like that too. Uh, this most patient God is extravagant in love, always ready to cancel a catastrophe. Who knows? Maybe he'll do it now. Maybe he'll turn around and show pity. Maybe when all is said and done, there'll be blessings full and robust for your God. Blow the ram's horn. Blow the ram's horn trumpet in Zion. Declare a day of repentance, a holy fast. Get a, call a public meeting. Get everyone there and consecrate the congregation. So this, uh, this scripture that is used for the Lenten season is, and, and sometimes the, this, this season prior to um, Easter, uh, you know, it's, we call it the Lenten services or Lenten season, and it is a time when Christians have historically prepared their hearts and, uh, for, the, the, for the resurrection. And it's a time in which we are to be in reflection and repentance and prayer. It's a time to look at what's coming because um, um, the movie, what was uh, the movie? The, it's, it's uh, Mel, is it Mel Gibson's? The Passion, yeah. Um, that's, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, we have it. Um, and, you know, it's, it depicts what happened, what, you know, the, the suffering of Jesus. You know, the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, writes about uh, Jesus and his, and his uh, being beaten and, and, and what he goes through prior to his crucifixion. And we never really did it justice. There was never really done justice until this movie. <laughs> uh, because... When Jesus dies, the prophet Isaiah said that his back was as a plowed field. <laughs> that that the, the people who were, that were uh, beating him with the catty nine tails and it had, as it were, it had pieces of bone or, or metal in them. And whenever they would wrap it around, they would, you know, lash someone and wrap it around and it would stick in their flesh and they would pull it out. And they had to be very precise in how they did this or else they would uh, you know, cut an artery or something, and a person would bleed to death right there on the spot. So they didn't want that. They wanted them to be tortured, and they wanted them to suffer. So when it comes to the suffering of Christ and what we see 
in uh, Mel Gibson's movie about how that the body of Jesus is just ripped to shreds, that's, that's close to what it would have been. It's worse than that. Um, that it's as if there was not one piece of flesh left in place on his, on his body and his you know, torso. That was the beating that Jesus went through for our sins. So whenever we are approaching Good Friday, when we are approaching the crucifixion, this time of Lent, this time of preparation, is that we are looking what Jesus did, what he went through prior to, you know, and this, this time period now, and we look at that as our own life and how much God loves us and loves us that he would do this for our, our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So when we're thinking of, of Lent, and it began a number of weeks ago on Ash Wednesday, and it proceeds in the 40 days prior to um, Good Friday, with, and we said this last week, with the exclusion of Sundays. Sundays are not included in this because Sunday is a day of resurrection, a day of celebration. So in the early church, um, they, they were Jewish believers, and they always were in the synagogue on Saturdays. But then on the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead, and so the Christian Jews met on Sunday morning, and that was the beginning of why it moved from Saturday to Sunday, and why we have church on Sundays, because Sunday is every Sunday we are in church, it is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we've been doing it since that first Easter Sunday. Um, Many Christians choose to celebrate a fast through this season of Lent, but the focus I look at it is not in depriving ourselves as much as it is on devoting ourselves. Devoting ourselves to prayer, devoting ourselves to reading the scripture, devoting ourselves to the things that, that, of, of God. I passed out uh, Romans chapter 12 again. <laughs> if, you don't ha- if you already have it, give it to someone who doesn't. Does anyone not have it? Okay, I wrote, passed that out. This is, this is, I've been giving it out every week now for four or five weeks, this Romans chapter 12. And Romans chapter 12, what you have in front of you is uh, the, the Message Bible translation of Romans chapter 12. And I made it into a bullet form, you know, bullet prints, bullet, bullet uh, type, so that we would look at them and be able to look at it as a checklist, that we would be making a checklist of the things, uh, uh, you know, what is it that God wants me to do? And how is it that he wants me to live my life? What is it that I should be doing? Do you know that you will not, you must make a decision, you must make a choice before you will be able to manage that choice? Okay? It's just like, you cannot, if you don't make a choice, you can't manage it. Sounds pretty simple, but it's not that complex. But the idea is, if you are, and it determines your character. Character is built upon the decisions that we've made, the choices that we've made. Like, I've chosen to follow Jesus Christ. That's a decision. Now, the management of that decision is allowing God to help you follow the commandments of God, to follow the will of God and the purpose of God for your life. So we are choosing which is a character decision to follow God. Now, what happens is that in this choice, we then are presented with opportunities and blessings and challenges. We are presented that there are some things in our life that, 
are a challenge to our faith. You know, in that, um, I gave out all my slips, I don't even have one. Uh, in, that, in that format there, it says, don't curse under your breath. Anybody see that one in there? Have you read that one before? <laughs> now, I, and I don't think of it in a sense of cursing as in using foul language. I think of it in the context of, I can't wait to get even with them. Do you ever do this in your head, you know, that you're just thinking, and when you're left to your own thoughts, they kind of go, sometimes they go in a negative way, and you start wanting to tell somebody off, and you start really wanting to let them have it, and you do a really good conversation with them in your head? Anybody do that? Don't curse under your breath. <laughs> you know? Just, just let it go, you know? Pray for them and let it go. And the idea is, as we look at this, if you don't make that choice, when the temptation and when the situation comes up, you're not going to manage it. When the, when the temptation, when the desire is to really murmur and complain in your breath, under your breath comes up, you're going to just be swept away with it. And do you ever meet somebody and you go, what do you want? <laughs> it's like, I didn't say anything. You know? What have they been doing? Cursing under their breath. <laughs> Anybody ever short-tempered? Why are you short-tempered? Because you're always angry. <laughs> you're always upset. And what's going on? You're thinking under your, you know, you're thinking about bad things. And you're th See, forgive them and let it go. If you don't make that choice, what's going to stop you from managing it? You see, as we, what is the character? How do we know what character is? We know what character flaws are. But if people haven't made a decision to do right things before the temptation comes, they're going to do wrong things. Why? Because we'll be swept away with the emotion. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, if you wait on Ruth, if Ruth waits on you at the cafeteria of the hospital, watch. Yeah, no. <laughs> if she has a spoon of potatoes there and says, what do you want? Duck. <laughs> Not true. She's pleasant. Now, I don't, I don't just talk about this for a while. There's, there's hard and soft decisions. Hard decisions, hard decisions are intellectual decisions. Did you know that we make decisions based upon emotion and then we rationalize them in our intellect? Okay? Uh, a hard decision is, um, maybe some of you have heard this from parental guidance, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. <laughs> That's a hard decision, okay? All right, a soft decision is, um, well, let's, let's see, uh, guys, we're changing money there. You didn't put that in the offering. <laughs> you didn't get that from the offering, did you? <laughs> God, watch these guys. <laughs> if you were going to ask a, a, a young lady out for dinner, would it be a hard decision? <laughs> would it be a hard or a soft decision? Hey, woman, go to lunch with me. <laughs> or would it be a soft decision, which is a, you know, you know, how are you doing, a ple pleasantry? Which, which do you think it would be? Well, I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> They're too young to know. They don't ask them out for dinner. It's like, you want to go McDonald's? 
But, uh, but the idea is, whoops, <laughs> but there is, the idea is that in our following of Jesus Christ, there is a hard heart, which is a soft decision, is that God loves us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a, that's a heart decision. It's God's heart reaching out to our heart. That the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross is a heart decision. He, deci- he, he loved us so much that he was willing to die for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So that he took upon himself the sin of the world and died upon the cross. That's a heart decision. Now, the hard, the soft decision of the heart, a hard decision... A hard decision is in the, in the book of Revelation where, where all, all the dead are passing before God and Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. That's a hard decision. That you can't change that. And you see, in our lives, we are making choices. We're making choices. And you see, if you don't make a choice <laughs> not to drink or drugs or you know, whatever, if you don't make that choice, when the peer pressure is there, you'll be, pressed, you'll be pushed by the emotion of the moment rather than by what you know to be true. Whether it's stealing, whether it's, you know, r- ripping somebody off or whatever, if you don't make a choice, that's our character choice. A character choice is that which we have done, made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus Christ means that I am accepting his principles for my life. I'm not, I don't bear false witness. I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't cheat. Um, I don't smoke. I don't chew. And I don't date the women who do. Uh, I was thinking, did you catch that? <laughs> I don't smoke. I don't chew. And I don't date women who do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> In West Virginia, that doesn't work. But anyhow, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, what's that? Oh, yeah, edit that. Yeah, edit that out. <laughs> to those of you who are listening to this over the CD, just edit the last part. That was just a little joke, okay? It's not, it's not true at all. I went to school in West Virginia. Very, some of my best friends are from West Virginia. How about that? <laughs> but... Uh, the idea is that in our decisions, it's part of our character. And part of our character is, you know, we make decisions based on our character. And the character is that we are following Jesus Christ. We are wanting his character to be ours. Follow, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So we are making a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And we are making a decision in which his principles and his character are, is ours. And then when it comes to living those, we are managing them. And the managing of our decisions is that you're, we don't want to think we're going to do it on our own. You can't live the Christian life without Christ. <laughs> you can't be a Christian without Christ. You can't live godly life without the presence of God in your life. And, we, and the, the way that we receive the presence of God in our life is by asking. And it's not a head thing, it's a heart thing. 
It's a soft decision which I give my life to Jesus Christ. And then the, the hard decision is I will live by the principles that God has given me. And I will not allow the wind or the waves, the emotions or the moment to take me away from my relationship. When I think of wind, of wave, wind and waves, I think of uh, that picture in Japan where the tsunami comes in and the great wave comes in and then all the houses and everything wash out to sea. What type of structure would be able to withstand that type of tsunami? You see, how deep is our faith and how great are the waves? When Jesus is um, walking on the water, Peter says, he wants out of the boat, if it's really you, Jesus, let me come to you. And he gets out of the boat and walks on the water, and then he gets distracted by the wind and the waves, and he sinks. And it's very common that in the difficulties of our life, we find a way to become distracted from our faith. And that distraction will cause us to fall. And guess what? No one is perfect. And because we fail doesn't mean God has given up on us. He reaches in, picks us up, takes us back to the boat, <laughs> speaks to the storm, and it's calm, and we wonder, my goodness, what kind of a God is this? The other, the other story I was thinking of for today is in Romans chapter, in, um, oh, where is it? John chapter 4. And it's in John chapter 4 with uh, the woman of Samaria. Now, the, the setting is Jesus is talking with, he's there in this group and doing, you know, his ministry and the Pharisees and Sadducees are there and all this other kind of stuff. And he says, I've got to go to Galilee. So he heads out to Galilee and he's got to go through, and then the short way through between these two points is to go through Samaria. And Samaria is, you know, a small area of land just um, planted right in the middle there. And the Jewish people the Jewish people, the Samaritans, were individuals who were left behind. Whenever the Babylonian Empire uh, came in, they transplanted almost everyone out of Jerusalem and out of Israel except for a small group of leftovers of unimportant people. While those unimportant people intermarried with other, other individuals around, and they were no longer considered pure Jewish descents, descendants. So they were known as Samaritans. And those then who were pure Jewish descent who returned from Babylon, resettled the area, would have nothing to do with these lesser people. So they were so against the Samaritans that they wouldn't even step in their land. Jesus tells his disciples, I have to go to Samaria. Because, he doesn't tell them this at the time, he just says, I've got to go there. And in this, in, the, in, this story, in, in this story where Jesus is traveling, he comes to, the, and it's called the woman, we often refer to it as the woman at the well. Here is this woman who comes at noontime to get water. And again, the customs of the time, you never draw water at noon. Why? Because it's 100 degrees. It's 100, 105 degrees. And you never go to the well when it's noon, you go there in the evening when it's cool, and that's the social time because everybody's there. But this woman who's coming at noon has had five husbands, and the husband she is with is the man she's living with isn't her husband, and her life's in a wreck. And why does she come at noon? So she doesn't have to meet all the Gabby people. 
She doesn't want to put up with all of their, their stuff. She's an outcast from their, uh, of their group, and she doesn't really mingle with them. So she comes at noon. And who's waiting for her this day? Jesus. The value of one. Jesus goes out of his way and takes his disciples through this forbidden area, and he comes to the well, and there Jesus waits for the woman to come. And when she arrives, Jesus says, will you get me a drink of water? You know, and she's like, you, a Jew, want me, a Samaritan, get you a drink of water? In that time, if you associated with sinners, you associated with them, what, they, what was considered was their badness would rub off on you. Okay, rub somebody's shoulder right there. Now their goodness is going to rub off on you. <laughs> but in, in that day, in that setting, it was that if you went through, associated with, their, their, you, they were, you were contaminated by them. Jesus goes there because he totally refutes and goes against any of that type of, of thinking. So he goes to this well and he's there. And he's talking to her about her life. And he's, and he's reviewing it. And, and here, I'll read it to you. Um, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, meaning about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had already gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his flocks and herd? See, how do we understand spiritual truths? Jesus takes natural things that we understand and takes them to another level. Okay, he says, you must be born again. It's like, how can I be born again? Do I enter, you know, uh, Nicodemus says, you know, he's, he's a, he, he wants to, how can I be born again? I'm an old man. I can't go back in my mother's womb a second time. And, and Jesus says, no, you've got to be born of the water and the spirit, meaning that you've got to, it's a spiritual thing. So he uses the birth to accentuate you were born once physically, you've got to be born again spiritually. Okay, he's dealing with this woman at the well. She has an, you know, he's coming there. He, he's not, you know, let's, let's raise a few people out from the dead, draw a few miracles out of the, from nothing, and then she'll believe. No. He talks to her about a reality that she has never found. And she's coming at noon to get water. Water's a very precious commodity. <laughs> when we were in the Middle East, um, you know, you were out in the desert area, and... Um, we stopped at a, a Bedouin camp, okay? And the kids all come running around, you know, they want money and whatever, they want to touch you and say hello to you and all that kind of stuff because they'd never seen, you know, someone getting off the bus. 
And uh, so this camp, because we stopped just on an impulse, and they come right, and they all smelled like goats. <laughs> you know, they all smelled like goats. Because I don't think they'd ever had a bath. They don't use water to wash their dishes. They use sand. Because water is so rare, you wouldn't dare waste it on bathing or cleaning utensils. There's not enough of it to go around, so you, you use water to survive. So here comes this woman to the well, and there's no public water except in this well. And she has to come, you know, most of the people come twice a day, once in the morning, one in the evening. She just comes at noontime because she doesn't want to have anything to do with the rest of the people. And Jesus talked to her about water, using something that she understands to take her someplace that she doesn't understand. And Jesus said, I'm the living water. And the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. <laughs> she says, how about giving me a whole bunch of that water? I'm tired of coming here and drawing water out of the well. And, 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 and Jesus says, um, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up, in, uh, welling up to eternal life. And so here we are, we, we sing our songs and we, um, we pray and, and, and when we do all this. What's it about? It's about there's a, there's a spirit of God in our life that wants to, to that God wants to be involved in our life and he wants us to drink of his spirit, of his, of his life that those promises that he gives to us about eternal life and the promises he gives to us about forgiveness and the promises he gives to us about I will never leave you nor forsake you, those are the things that spring up inside of us. Those are the things that, that I can tell you about them, but only God can make them real to you. I can say about how that we make decisions and that, that, that's part of our character, but it is the Spirit of God that gives them life and purpose and meaning. And it is God who brings that life to us. And it's God who makes that real to us so that we can say, I am a Christian and I am living by the Christian principles because I believe in Jesus Christ and he helps me. <laughs> and I'm not cursing under my breath at those people that I don't like. <laughs> and I'm not throwing potatoes at people from behind them. <laughs> That's a little humor there, you know Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come and keep drawing water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And then she says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. And our forefathers worshipped in this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. There was this big conflict between the Samaritans and what they had established as their place of worship that was torn down by invading armies and Jerusalem where the temple was. But the, the point here is the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. 
And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. She said, I believe in a Messiah. I believe that there is a Messiah coming. And Jesus said, I'm him. When that happened, you see, what did Jesus, what did Jesus do with all of her sins? What did he do with all the things she had done wrong? What did she do, you know, with all the, the being an outcast? That she, what did Jesus do with all that? He didn't care one bit. He went through all of that you know, just spread it apart and walk right through to the woman's heart. Soft decision. His disciples returned, surprised to find him talking with his woman. And what did she do? Verse 28, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything about my life. That's what I look at for us. Come see a man. Come see Jesus. A one who understands us better than we know ourselves. He knew us while we were yet in our mother's womb. He knows the very thoughts of our minds and hearts. He knows all the failures and the mistakes that we've made. And he just goes walking right through that, right to our heart and says, there's something I have to give you. <laughs> and it's forgiveness. It's eternal life. It's hope in the midst of darkness. It is light in the midst of darkness. It is hope whenever we find that there, think that there is no hope. Jesus comes to our life to touch our hearts, to touch our lives, and to make a difference. This woman went back to the village. She went back to the village of, of people that she didn't want to associate with. She went back to tell them, come see a man. Come see a man who's made a difference in my life. You know, that would be quite a statement. You know, here she's had five and the one she's living with isn't her own. And, you know, and come see a man. And, but she had a whole different understanding of this man. She had a whole different understanding of who Jesus was and what he had come to do. He had come to liberate her, set her free from her sins, her failures, her past, and give her new hope and new life. And that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, had come there to that well to meet with this person who was an outcast. So you see, there's nothing that stands between us and God but me. <laughs> the only person who stands between me and God is me. And Jesus comes to me, <laughs> to my life, says, will you make a decision? Will you follow me? Will you allow me to forgive you of your sins, separate them from you, and give you eternal life? Give you water to drink that you'll never thirst again, as it was with this woman? That's what's in front of us. Always in front of us. The character decisions are character decisions that we will make to follow him, and that, that, that it comes down to our doing them. It's a heart decision rationalized by our intellect, understood by our intellect, that Jesus has come to save me from my sin. Amen?